Well, thanks for leading us in worship, you guys. It's always a joy to gather with God's people to do just that. We're looking forward to that opportunity soon. Now, we are going to continue having online services through the rest of this month. And so we encourage you to be back here on Sunday mornings and and to share this with other people in our community that need to hear the, the truth about Jesus. But we are looking forward to worshiping our King as we just did. We're looking forward to doing that as a, as a full body of believers. And that is right around the corner as, as we trust God is working out His plan and we're listening to our governing authorities and as they let us know uh, their recommendations and guidelines for coming together. But, but today, for the next few minutes, it's time for us to open up God's Word and to be really encouraged and challenged by it. Well, before I do that, though, I do want to say Happy Mother's Day to, to those that are listening that are mothers. And um, for those that, that had a mother, which I guess is all of us, um, this is definitely a, a special day for us to remember those who have served us and have pointed us to Christ. In one way or another, I'm sure that you see the hand of God um, through the mother that God provided to you. You know, Scripture uses the, the picture of a mother to, to show us God's loving hand in our lives. And I know I'm grateful for a mom who uh, pointed me to Christ and, and right now is in the presence of the Lord. I'm worshiping Him, and, and one day I'll get to see her again. And actually, our, our passage today that we'll be talking about um, references wives, and, and really by transference, I would say even, even mothers. And I want to start with that today. We're going to be in the book of 1 Peter, and in chapter 3, verse number 7, the apostle Peter uh, says some words to husbands that I would like to challenge all of the men with out there today who happen to be husbands. Hear what God says to you, men. It says, likewise, husbands, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, we won't have the time today to fully exegete this passage, but I do think it is important for us to see this, this one truth that, that men, if you are married out there today, God calls for you, especially on this day, to honor your wife, to treat her as a co-heir with, Christ, with you in Christ, as, as heirs of the grace of life, and to live with her in an understanding way. Even if you don't understand completely, live with her in an understanding way. And so for all the moms that are out there, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for, for living a life of, of dedication to your children. And I trust that God will encourage you today um, through his word and, and through just the experience that you'll have as a mom. Well, where we're going to be today for our message, though, is right there in 1 Peter chapter 2. And so I encourage you, open up your Bible with me today. We're going to be studying together verses 13 of chapter 2 through 3, 6. It's a long passage, and we won't, we won't be able to look at every single word, every single phrase, but I think that it'll be clear to you what, what God is calling us to. And, and really, this is another example of how we are to live such good lives as 2.12, 2.11-12 called us to, live such good lives and how we live that out in real life. That's the point today. 
how it is that we are to live as sojourners, as, as pilgrims, as strangers and aliens in this world. How are we to live out our relationship with Christ? And today, it's in a very specific area. Now, if you've been uh, following through with, with Facebook and other things, you've heard me say this about this morning's message. It is very clear what God is going to call us to. It is crystal clear what God's command is for us as followers of Christ. So as I look forward to walking through this passage today, uh, it's, it's an easy passage to exegete. It's an easy passage to explain. But quite honestly, I'm a little nervous about this passage because it is so anti-cultural. It goes against everything that we are seeing today and maybe even feeling today. And it's funny how we are as human beings. We're really good at daydreaming about ourselves, thinking how we would handle a circumstance if we faced it. Um, let, me, let me tell you a story from my childhood that might um, illustrate this in a significant way. When I was a child, when I was, was in my elementary years, there were still drive-in theaters. Can you believe that? And um, we would, as a family, occasionally all dive into our station wagon, uh, early 70s model, and we would drive to the local drive-in theater, me and my parents and my grandmother and, and the five siblings, we would all go to the drive-in theater. And it was usually, it seems like a cowboy and Indian movie, if that's politically correct for me to still say. And I remember this one scene that just stands out in my mind. I'm probably eight, nine years old. And there's this moment where there's this, of course, the, the beautiful heroine of the movie, this, you know, this, this wonderful actress was there. And, and she had been sort of back and forth throughout the movie. And there was this North American Indian who was, who was trying to protect her. And this mean cowboy who was thinking about hurting her. And at the the climax of the movie, the, the bad guy pulls out his pistol and points it at the, at the female and goes to fire the gun. And at that moment, the Indian comes running across the screen and dies out. And at just the right moment, when the, when the bad guy pulls the, pulls the trigger and the bullet flies out of the, the revolver, the Indian catches the bullet and falls to the ground. And the beautiful woman comes over and she looks into his eyes and just before he passes, she lets him know that, that she loves him and, and he then closes his eyes and passes away. And me as an eight-year-old child, I looked at that and I thought, yes, that's me. I would do that. I would dive in front of the bullet. I would do that. We have this way of thinking about ourselves that when the, when, when the bullets are flying, when the challenge is there, we would come through. Now, as Christians, let me bring that to bear. I think most of us have this idea that if we knew what God was calling us to, if you knew today exactly what God was calling you to, why, you would do it for sure. You, you would do whatever it was that God was calling you to. If the Lord said, I need you to sacrifice your life so that hungry children will be fed. I, I need you to, to travel to a foreign country so that the gospel will, will be declared to these unreached people. We say, I would do it. If God came to me and told me to do something, I would definitely do it. I'd dive in front of the bullets if I knew 
that God was calling me to something, I would do it. Are you sure? Let's read our passage. Chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, Peter writes this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Today I want to talk about our relationship with the governing authorities over us. And I know that, that I am now stepping into areas of our life that we don't like to really be dealt with. I mean, we're talking about everyday occurrences of our life. And, and we as followers of Christ, as Christians, believe that we will honor God, we will believe Him, we will trust Him. If He tells us to do something, we're going to do it. Well, what if God tells you to pay your fair share of taxes? What if the Lord wants you to drive under the speed limit? What if God wants you to abide by a law or a, or a rule that you don't really appreciate or don't really agree with? What if, what if the government declares that you and I need to wear one of those silly masks? Are we ready to respond? Or are we ready to resist? Now, Peter is writing this to a group of people that are under threat of their life. From the very governors, from the very emperor that Peter calls them to honor, their lives are being demanded. The lives of their loved ones are being taken from this emperor. The emperor Nero was ruling when Peter wrote this. And Peter's life will be taken because of the command of Nero. And he says, honor. Now the truth is, the reason why this passage is, is difficult is not because it's hard to understand. It's very easy to understand what it's saying. The difficult nature of this, the, difficult, the difficulty of this passage, it's because it, it touches a deep part of our life. It, it touches a, a hidden aspect of our heart. You see, this passage drives right to the center of us. And it deals with our, our desires. It deals with our desire for, for wealth, for prestige, for, for honor, for freedom. And what it reveals is what it is that we are living for. Are we living for Christ and for people to come to know Him? Or are we living for those other things? Understand, I'm not saying, this passage is not going to teach us today that power or prestige or wealth or, or pleasure or independence or privacy in, the, in themselves are wrong. It's not going to teach us that those things are wrong. It is going to teach us, though, that they are secondary. 
They are secondary. Primary is Christ. Primary is the souls of those around us. And I, as a follower of Jesus, must be willing to put aside the things that are secondary for the sake of that which is primary. That's why this passage is difficult. Because it reveals to us today what is primary. Is my freedom primary? Is my privacy primary? Is my wealth, is my prestige, is my pleasure, is my independence primary? Or is Christ and His gospel? Let's look at it together. In verse number 13, Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now that is very clear what Peter is calling us to. Subject here is a, is a military term. It, it literally means to arrange in rank order is what it means. Those that are in the military or ever have been can easily understand this concept. You answer to someone who is above you, who answers to someone who is above them. It's easy to understand rank in the military. And this is a military term. It's easy to understand. And it's also easy to understand because when we're the ones in charge, we appreciate it. If you're a coach or a teacher or a parent, we want those who are under us in rank to be subject to us. And when they are not, we don't like that. So we certainly understand what this means to be subject to another. But this passage says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What does that mean? It means to be obedient to those who are ruling over us. To submit to the directive of those who are ruling. It means to willingly yield the, to the admonition of our leaders. Now this word subject is used about 38 times in your New Testament. I want you to hear the kind of things that, that, are used to that this word is used to describe. In Luke chapter 10, verse number 17, the apostles tell Jesus that the demons are subject to them. That they're driving demons out of demon-possessed people, and the demons are subject to the apostles. In Romans 8, the Lord describes that the creation is subject to the futility of sin. In other words, the world around us is broken, and so the creation is subject to futility. In 1 Corinthians 14.32, Paul says that the prophets who are there in the church need to be subject to themselves. In other words, they control what they say. That's what this word means. This is a reminder to us that Christians are to give up striving for power and authority in their lives. And to be willing to give that up to other human beings. To, to quit demanding our rights and privileges. To set those aside because they are secondary. My rights and my privileges are now secondary. Is what Peter is telling us. Instead, we're to pursue the good of others. To pursue submitting to others in hope that they will come to know Christ. That's what this word subject means. We're tempted to think 
that submission of a Christian to another individual is dependent upon that individual being a Christian. But in reality, Peter is telling us that as followers of Christ, we are even to be subject to those who don't know Christ. Those that God has placed in authority. I mean, in this passage alone, he mentions the emperor and governors. Non-believers be subject to them. In 2.18, servants will be told to be subject to their masters. In chapter 3, we're going to see wives are called to be subject to their unbelieving husbands. Later on, Jesus is, or Peter's going to describe that the angels are subject to Jesus. And then in chapter 5, it's going to describe, Peter's going to describe that, that younger believers should be subject to older believers. So we see here that this, this rank, this submission, this, this subjecting one to another is God's plan. And he's calling us to it. Let me read it again. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. So how do we do this? How, how do we live out this kind of submission to, to someone who is maybe in our lives or, or maybe distant, separated from us that we may not even agree with? How do we subject ourselves to them? Well, Peter's going to help us to see that. Let's, let's walk through this together. In verse 13, we've read it several times, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So what we see here is that we, are, we submit ourselves to the governing authorities above us, first of all, with God in mind. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake. So we are subjected to a human, but we do this, we, we submit ourselves to a governing authority with God in mind. The humans here are the ones who are leading, emperors, governors. In, in verse number 17 and, and beyond, it describes them as even foolish people, that, that this will put to silence those who are foolish. So even to those that we might call fools, if God has placed them in authority over us, we are to subject ourselves to them with God in mind. Romans 13 will inform us here, if you look at Romans 13, verse number 1, it explains that all authority has been given by God. So we subject ourselves to those in authority for the Lord's sake. Here's the reality. Your God will be revealed through this experience of submitting to an authority. Your God will be revealed. Is my God the Lord God who's placed authorities in my life? Or is my God myself and my rights and my privacy? Now, are there exceptions to this rule? Is there a time for Christian disobedience? Is there a moment in time when a follower of Christ resists the authority that is over them. There is. And we're going to deal with this after the sermon today. When Pastor Brock comes up to join me, we're going to talk about the, the occurrences where Christian disobedience is biblical. But here's what I want you to understand right now. 
The bar is very high for us to respond in that way. The, the burden of proof is great for you or me to resist those in authority over us. We have to recognize that no matter the political party, no, no matter the personality, no, no matter how, how corrupt they may be, no matter how much they may be infringing on your rights, those in authority above us have been put there by God. And He is using them to accomplish His plan. So there is a moment for Christian disobedience, and we'll deal with that later. But for now, I want us to see what Peter is declaring us to us. So my first point is that we need to be subject to those in authority of us for the, with God in mind. The second one is this. We trust His will. Look what it says. That this is, verse number 15, this is the will of God. Subjecting ourselves to human authorities, this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It is the will of God for us to be in submission to those in authority over us. Except for a few exceptions, this is the will of God. The reality is that by doing good, by living out this, this subjecting ourselves to, a, to those in authority over us, we will be used of God to put the silence those who, who otherwise would use our lives as a reason to reject Christ. This is an example of living out what Peter called us to in verse number 12 when he said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that though they may speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, our lives are to be in submission to those in authority over us so that people don't have an excuse to reject our message. If people, if people choose to reject Christ and the gospel, that is between them and their God. But it is not our role to provide them with a reason to reject the gospel. That's what this submission to authorities provides. A venue or a conduit for them to be open to the gospel. We aren't giving them reasons to reject our message. Titus said it this way. Titus said, remind the believers, this is Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, remind the believers to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Does it describe our Facebook feed? Does it describe the things that we post, the, the conversations that we have at the water cooler? Does, does this describe us? Or are we providing a reason for people to reject our message? It is the will of God that we live in submission to those in authority over us. This would be our parents. Our boss, our mayor, our, our governors, our, our congressmen, our senators, our, our, our president. This, we are to be in submission and subject to and see that they are 
the ones that God has placed in authority over us, except for a few very small exceptions. This is what God is calling us to. And then lastly, I want us to see why we're doing this. Why are we living this way? Why are we diving in front of this bullet? Why? Verse number 16. Live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are called to live out God's purpose and God's desire, not our own. We make His purpose and His desire primary. Our desires, our our fleshly desire for privacy and rights and security as secondary. The way I want you to see this is, we're to live a winsome life. A winsome life. What is a winsome life? A winsome life is a life that is attractive for the gospel. That, that shows people what a follower of Christ looks like. What, what God would look like if He were living in your workplace. If you were living in your town. If you were living in your community, in your state, in your country. What He would look like. Live as servants of God. We are free, yes. But we don't use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. Evil here in this context would be resisting those in authority over us. Speaking of bad of them. Deriding them and, 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 and gossiping about them. Though they may be distant, our words reveal hatred and malice towards them. This is what Peter is calling evil. Rather we live a winsome life. A life that directs people to the gospel. The Apostle Paul referenced this. I want you to notice that this teaching is all through the New Testament. This idea of subjecting ourselves to the ruling authorities over us, except for a few small exceptions, is all through Scripture. Hear how Paul described this same winsome life in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, first of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What is Paul describing? He's saying, you live in submission to those in authority, or except for a few small exceptions, you live in submission to them, so that quite honestly, you will be left alone, and you can point people to Christ. That we will be, lead a peaceful and quiet life. That the things that the world around us gets all excited about and all worked up about, my rights, my demands, what I deserve. You see, they get all worked up about that into a frenzy. But you and I, mm -mm. we live a peaceful and quiet life. A winsome life that points people to Christ. This is his plan. This is what the Spirit of God called Peter to write to people who were losing their lives to these very governing authorities and saying, honor everyone. Verse 17. Love the brotherhood, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
It's a very easy passage to understand. But it is hard to live. Now, I just want to walk through really the, the next couple paragraphs where Peter gives very good examples that allow us to see how this plays out. And it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to be easier to do apart from God's Spirit. We already see the emperor. We, we spent enough time on that on verses 13 through 17. When you go to verse number 18, though, now Peter changes to a different segment of life, to a different sort of arena, and now is going to apply this principle to these people. And he says, servants, and literally this is the word for a house slave. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? You endure. What credit is that? But if when you do good and suffer for it you, and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So what is Peter saying? He's saying to those who are house slaves, you live in submission to those in authority over you. For us in our world today, this would be employee to boss. Even if your boss is unjust and not gentle, you be in submission to him. Except for a few small exceptions, you live this life with him. I think what Peter is trying to say is that, that when you do this, the grace of God will come. And you may say, I don't know how I could ever do this. You don't know what boss is like. You know what this man or this woman is like. They're so difficult. Yes, that's why we depend upon the grace of God. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows. We trust the grace of God to bring us through this. I could not do this on my own. You could not do this on your own. We depend upon the grace of God to get you through one more day with that difficult boss, one more day with that difficult person, one more day with that man or woman who oversees you who's not gentle. Grace of God, get me through one more day. Another example is located in chapter 3, verse number 1. Now we we went from, from the emperor to the workplace, now to your home. Look what Peter says. Apparently this was a problem in this, in this church that Peter is writing to. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even as some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So it just got even closer to home. Now we have husband-wife, where the wife is now being called to live in submission to her husband who's not even a believer. Now again, there are some exceptions to this rule and we'll deal with these after the message today. But Peter doesn't provide an exception at this point. We have to go to other places in Scripture to find this exception. He says, though, that through your life you may win that husband who doesn't even trust Christ yet. You see this winsome life? That through our conduct, that this unbelieving husband may be one without a word. 
In other words, he will see your life. He will see your life, ladies, in this context. And he will be so drawn to your winsome life that he'll put his trust in Christ. This is what we are trusting in. And for a follower of Christ, this is what matters most. And that's why this passage is so hard to trust. Because my flesh wants to demand what I believe I deserve. I deserve to drive whatever speed I want to. I deserve to wear my seatbelt or not. I deserve to have the right to vote. I deserve to have the right to do this. I deserve to have whatever it may be. I deserve it. But those all become secondary to the follower of Christ. Even your life becomes secondary to the purpose of Christ. And that's where I want to end. I want to go now to to the example, the ultimate example that Peter gives right in the middle of this passage. It's like he built to this climax and then he descends after. But in the center of his teaching on how we are be in subjection to those who rule over us, those in authority over us, Peter offers the example of Jesus. In chapter 2, verse number 21, see what Peter writes and be challenged by it today. He writes, For to this you have been called, this subjection to those who are in authority over you, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps see we're supposed to look to Christ how did he live to those who are in authority over him how did he react to those who are ruling over him follow in his steps Peter tells us what he did He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed." Do you see what Peter is pointing us to? The example of Christ that we might follow in his steps and the work of Christ that you and I might live this life that he calls us to. We we cannot pull this off on our own. You are too weak. Your spirit is too weak to live in subjection to those who are in authority over you. And that's why Christ had to come to die to sin and live to righteousness. That His Spirit would come and enable you as you live in submission to God's Spirit. He will allow you to live in submission to those who are in authority over you. So when you resist those, when you find yourself resisting those in authority over you, look back to Christ. And allow His Spirit to soften your heart. And Peter ends with this. Verse 25. 
for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'm grateful today that God is able to change your nature. You may be a person who naturally is very rebellious, who demands your own way. But God's Spirit comes and changes us. He doesn't make us weak. He changes our priorities so that we're willing to be meek and to put aside what used to be first and foremost in my mind. To put aside my desire and my demand for my rights. To put that aside that God might use me to draw people to himself. So think about that boss. Think about those co-workers. Think about your spouse and your children. The people in your church, in your family, in your community. Does your life reflect Christ? Does it reflect that kind of dependence upon God that says, I trust you, God. You've placed this person in my life. I trust you. Use me to point them to you. At Centerpoint, when we gather in person, we always close our service with the Great Commission. Of course, it's always fitting because it is what he calls us to. And it is this Great Commission that is our first priority. It's what drives us. It, it's what allows us to put aside our own rights that Jesus might use us to fulfill these words. Listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pause there. You see, he has authority. And he places in our lives the authorities that he wants us to have. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Pause there. See, that's our new priority. Making disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, he says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Centerpoint Bible Church and those who have joined with us today, I pray that as you live in authority, in submission that is to the authorities that are in your life, that you will allow the presence of Christ to work through you, His Spirit to sanctify you, so you can be that winsome person in the authorities' lives that you encounter wherever you may be. And God may use you to bring people to himself. Go and make disciples.
Thanks for listening in. I encourage you to stay for our discussion. We will be dealing with those areas, that one or two areas, where God may allow you to resist those in authority, but they are very, very few. And you don't want to miss that explanation. Thanks.